I want to first of all thank your pastor for his kind words of welcome. I noticed he announced me as a special speaker. Well, I'll tell you this, there's nothing special about me. I'm just made out of the same old clay as everybody else, but of a special message. And that makes a difference. And it's good to be with you and back in your buildings again. I want to read from God's Word, and we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The hymns were special to me today because they fit in with everything that I have to say this morning. And uh, those lovely ones on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, or born again of the Spirit of God. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. Now, down to verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. I've heard people, ministers, read that portion at a graveside. Now, it's not for a graveside. Because death has its sting at a graveside. And the grave has its victory. You can't tell people that are weeping, weeping round a grave and have lost a loved one. It's for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice the word then. Because those that are alive and remain will have no sting of death. And those that have come up from the grave, they'll be shouting at the devil in hell, O death, where is thy victory? Then it'll happen. 56, the sting of death, the sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, that's a very important word. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's reads God's word, and God always blesses the public reading of his precious truth. Let's pray. We thank you for the good word of God. Wherefore shall a man or woman cleanse their ways, 
but by taking heed to the word of God. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy words became unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I esteem thy word more than thy necessary food. Bread of heaven, feed us now and evermore. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and we're walking in dark and difficult days. Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. Thy word is like a sword that pierces between the soul and the spirit, convicting of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we pray that the Holy Spirit of God will take the word of God and bring to our hearts what you have to say to us this morning. And that we might not be only hearers of the word, but we might put it into practice day by day, that it might become alive in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands. And we ask this with the pardon of our sins in our Saviour's name. The key verse in fact, believe it or not, chapter 16 has to do with greetings and giving and so forth like that. But the end verse and the end exhortation of the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The minute you get a therefore in the scriptures, always ask wherefore. Actually, it would, um, the Apostle Paul sat under the uh, Gamaliel, who was the grandson of Hillel, and he uses the Pharisaic way of argument and debate. He says, he puts up three principles. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Christ rose again for our justification and lives in the power of an endless life, ever interceding on our behalf in heaven. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary, the poor effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me, forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. And Christ is coming again to receive his saints back into heaven. Three of the fundamental facts of our faith. Christ died, Christ rose, Christ is coming. But what Paul is saying, therefore, in the light of the cross, in the light of the resurrection, and in the light of our coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that our sins are dealt with, the sin that he's alive and in heaven interceding, and he's coming again for us. Therefore, you folk in new buildings, independent Methodists, owe it to him to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In the light of Christ's work on Calvary for your soul. And if you're not born again in, the, in this meeting this morning, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. 
He died for you in Calvary. He shed his precious blood. He lives in the power of an endless life. And he'll come again for you if you're saved and born again of the Spirit of God. And in the light of the wonder of that, therefore, that's an argument that's absolutely compelling. When I look what Jesus has done for me in Calvary, how he lives within my heart, and how I look forward to the one day when I see him face to face. I owe it to him as a preacher of the gospel to live for him day by day, born of the Spirit of God and working and serving him, being steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is an argument that's absolutely compelling. I want to use the next wee phrase, my beloved brethren. It's a generic term, but it means your brothers and sisters. An affinity to be fostered. Ask yourself a question. Do you love every brother and sister in Christ with all the love of your heart and the love of the Holy Spirit spread abroad in your heart? My beloved brothers and sisters. Now, the Corinthian church is a corrective epistle. I would say if the Corinthian church as it stood was in new buildings, probably none of you would join it. And yet, he says, you're still my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. There were divisions among them. One says, I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. I'm of Cephas. I'm of, I'm of Christ. Four different divisions among the people of God. There's nothing new, you know, under the sun. Paul the intellectual. Everybody wants to hear an intellectual. Peter, charismatic figure. Apollos, an orator. And then Christ, people who think they're super spiritual. And I don't know whether you've met those sort of type of people uh, along your road that they think they're above everybody else and that they're a spiritual level. The Gnostics were like that, uh, that John writes about. Divisions among them. They measured themselves by themselves. You know, uh, I'm all right. You know, I, I come to more meetings than she comes, and I, I do more in the church than they do, and we measure ourselves. And he says, that's not right. You measure yourself by the stature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They tolerated sin in the midst. There was drunkenness at the Lord's table. And Paul had to say, for this cause, many are weak among you, and many sick there among you, and many sleep. And he calls them to repentance. But at the end of the day, he says, you're still my brother's beloved in Christ. Do you, know, do you love one another with a pure heart fervently? Is the love of God shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit of God to one another in Christ? Because I want to tell you a number of things about love. It's the proof of the new birth. Listen how John puts it. Beloved, let us not love, uh, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth, listen to this, is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not 
knoweth not God, for God is love. Now think about that. It's the proof that you're born again of the Holy Spirit of God if you have a love in your heart for your brothers and sisters. And if you haven't, without your salvation, that's what John's saying. It's the proof of the new birth. He that, uh, he, uh, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. It's the proof of the new birth. But, you know, it reveals our capacity for loving God. If I knew you intimately and I knew how you worked within your church fellowship, if I knew how your attitudes were, I would know your capacity for loving God. Listen to John again. As he said, if a man says that he loves God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we also from him, that he who loveth God loves his brother and sister also. The fact, the way you love your brother and sister in Christ shows the capacity that you have for your love of God. It's the proof of the new birth. It reveals the capacity for loving one another. And it manifests itself. Peter says this, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion, one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil, but contrawise, blessing. Loving God, loving your brothers and sisters, loving your neighbors, loving your enemies, having compassion, which is pity. Having love in your heart, being pitiful, and also being courteous. Good manners, being courteous. It reveals itself. When Paul is speaking to the Corinthian peoples in chapter 13, he said about this affinity to be fostered, the love among the people of God. He says, you're to speak in love. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have the gift of tongues, yeah, the gift of tongues and the, the miraculous gift, the gift of the orator, and you haven't love. You're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Speak in love. Preach in love. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Do you know, if I were an orator, and, could, and people would listen to me on one thing and another, they would think I was great. God says it doesn't matter whether you have the gift of tongues or you're an orator or whatever you may be, have, they, have the tongue of an angel. If it's not ministered in love in the heart, it's nothing. Though I give my bodies to be burned. Gold as I have and money to feed the poor. Boy, you'd be grateful for a fist if you knew, knew how to do that. Now God says, if you don't do in love, it will not profit anything. And listen to this. Love keeps no records of wrong. 
Somebody do you harm? <laughs> Comes to your mind time after time. Are you forgiving the person? Do you forgive them? Love manifests itself. Yes, there's not only therefore an argument that's compelling, but there's an affinity. My beloved brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter where I go. Took the Faith Mission Conference in Cornwall. I preached for the Elam down there in Cornwall as well. They were my beloved brothers and sisters. How are you getting on with it? An affinity to be fostered. The third thing that I want to say, there's an attitude to be maintained. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, we're living in a day, when I, when I was a young man and was saved in my 20s, there was sort of stability, stability in the province and everything else. I, I grew up on a lovely childhood with stability and, and there was no trouble in the province in those days. But we're living a day in absolute instability, politically as well as every other way. Not that I'm worried about that, you know, uh, God's in absolute control and he rules in heaven. But there's instability everywhere, doctrinal instability. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrine, for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not the head with knowledge. One of the problems in Ulster, our heads are full of knowledge. It is the heart established with grace. I'm sure you believe in the doctrine of baptism by immersion. But I hope you're dead to sin and alive to the newness of life, that it works out in your life and daily and, uh, and daily stability. You believe in the communion of the Lord's table. Absolute stability, doctrinal. Moral stability. Well, we haven't that in the world today. Do you know that only 5% of the British nation have a church connection? 5%. We're a heathen land. In fact, there are people coming from Africa to preach the gospel in Great Britain. It's unbelievable in our day and generation. And we need moral stability. I know how often we sing, and it's a lovely hymn, Free from the law, O happy condition. Jesus is bled and there is remission, cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Christ hath redeemed us once and for all. You're free from the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. You don't have to bring a lamb or a bullock, or you don't have to bring uh, the, the two heifers, uh, the scapegoat, you don't have to bring those, you, you don't have to go there on the Day of Atonement, but you are not free from the moral law of God. And I want you to get that. Do you know that every one of the commandments is re reiterated in the New Testament? Of course, God first, Jesus Christ is first, and is Lord. The word Adonai means the one who will have no rival. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Children, obey your parents. 
Parents, don't provoke your children unto wrath. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Marriage is honorable not in the bed or the file, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Thou shalt not steal at him the steal, stole steal no more. Envy, which is idolatry according to the New Testament. Every commandment is reiterated. You are not free from the moral law of God. But thanks be unto God, we have the Holy Spirit that enables us and by the power of the risen Christ to live triumphant over sin. That's the difference. Doctrinal stability, moral stability, spiritual stability. You ever live in a day when people are so easily offended? My father used to sing, Bob uh, Aver sent to us as, as children, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You ever think of that verse? He would have reversed it. If you're offended, you don't love God's law. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You ever, I, I, you know, being a preacher that goes around everywhere and preaches wherever I get the opportunity, Sometimes I was in a church and I was confused because there were uh, 28 of another church that I used to preach in. It wasn't because of doctrinal. It was personalities. It was stability. Not taking offense. Loving Christ. Loving your brothers and sisters. Doctrinal stability. Moral stability. Spiritual stability. Rooted built up on our holy faith, established and an abounding in thanksgiving. Is that the sort of Christian you are? Absolutely. Therefore, my beloved brethren and sisters, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Do you know what I think of the Apostle Paul? This is what he writes. Five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Forty lacerations of his back, five times two hundred, less five, 195. No wonder he could take his garment and say, I bear in the marks of Christ in my body. Stability. I was beaten with rods. I was stoned, three times shipwrecked, a day and a night in the deep, in perils of water, of robbers, of weariness, of painfulness, of thirst, cold and nakedness, and he said this, none of these things, none of them will move me. You know, we are the only people that can really say we shall not be moved. We have Christ in the vessel, and we can be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen to Job. His wife says, curse God and die. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Habakkuk, the farmer. Although the fig tree will not blossom, neither shall be fruit in the vines. The olives shall fail, and the fields not yield any, any fruit. The flocks cut off from the folds, no herds in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 
not shaken by all that has happened in life. Stability, an attitude to be maintained, steadfast and unmovable. I had the privilege of visiting the seven cities in Italy, and uh, finally I went to the uh, Rome. Now, I didn't go to see the Pope, I'm sure of that. Although if he'd been there, I would have told him he needed to be saved anyway. Uh, but he wasn't. And uh, I, I smiled at myself. I, I, I know a fellow that, uh, and Carrick Fergus. And he went to Rome, and he took his sash with him, and he stood in Vatican Square and got his photograph taken. I told him one day, he said, I have the Pope would have seen that. He'd been looking for one of them as well. Uh, but I'll tell you what, while others visited the Vatican, and there's a magnificent building, so there's no doubt about that, and the Trophy Fountain and all the rest of the Vatican uh, Square, the Basilica and all the rest of it, I didn't go. I stood there, I saw it. I went down to the Colosseum, and I stood outside that Colosseum and bowed my head, and I heard the voice of Ignatius, who was the bishop of Ephesus, taken in chains down through Asia Minor to the Colosseum of Rome. And when he was there, they were sending him out to the lions. You know what he said? I am the weak corn of God. Let me be ground upon by the teeth of these wild beasts that I may become the pure bread of heaven. Steadfast unmovable in the things of God. Polycarp. They took him to Rome. They tied him to a stake. They put the faggots around him. They lit the torch. And they said, Polycarp, repent and we'll save your life. Four Four score years and six have I served my master and he's done me no wrong. How then could I ever blaspheme the name of the king who saved me? And he went up and smoked. We would complain if the heat wasn't too good, if it weren't warm enough, or if it was too hot and were too cold. My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know, your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Yes, there was an, there's an argument of compelling us to the word, therefore, there's an affinity to be fostered, my beloved brothers and sisters, but there's an attitude to be maintained, be steadfast, unmovable, but, you know, there's a work, an activity to be pursued, abounding in the work of the Lord. Not to say that you're abounding in the work of New Buildings Methodists, although you should be, but you're abounding in God's work. Remember the work that you've called to. There's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis the task, the master, just for you as planned. He has to do his building, yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus. What? None but you can do you leave it all to your pastor or the board people. Are you working for the Lord in this church in the vineyard of God? I don't know how long you've been here, but if you're here 10 years, 
you've at least heard 1,000 sermons. At least. At least. The input into your lives, it needs to outflow in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I've been to Israel a lot of times. And one of the things uh, that amazes me is that uh, the, the water that flows from the, the mountains of Lebanon flows down into the northern neck of the, of the Jordan. Also from the Golden Heights. You taste it, and it's as sweet as can be. It goes down into the Sea of Galilee, and you can drink it. It goes down a narrow neck by Beth Arabah, and then goes into the Dead Sea. If you drink the water in the Dead Sea, you'll die. It's poisonous. You know why? No outlet. No outlet. And the input has been put into your lives before God in this place, in ministry and in prayer and everything else. Is it flowing out in the work of the Lord? And what I want to say to you is that you can do more as an individual than actually through the preaching in a pulpit. I was in Wales there not so long ago. You know, after my prayer time every morning, and I plan my day as best I can, I always pray this prayer. Lord, if you want to interrupt that, my day, just you do it. And I was listening to, uh, it was in that great city where the uh, Prince of Wales is always invested in, and uh, we had a guide who was actually took us to one of the towers, which was very interesting. It was the hangman's tower. The last hanging was there in 1913. And what happens is this, after the hanging, the chapel bell, uh, the Anglican Club Chapel, it tolls the bell for over a couple of hours. But immediately it was hung. After the first stroke, the hammer broke. And the bell. So they took it as a word from God that they should hang no more, and hanging was dispersed of. But you know what? I was interested to find out that where that place was, that church was. And I was going to say uh, a lot of old folk on the tour, tour, but I probably was older than any of them. But I went to walk the walls, and I went down into the church, St. Mary's they call it, and it's an Anglican church, and there were four or five ladies drinking tea, and the old verger was there, so how am I going to get in a conversation with these folk? I toured the thing, and then I come on and said, tell me this folk, is this a high church or a low church? Uh, and the Anglican church, the, the high church is almost Catholic, really. Be far better than the church or old, because they're not, they're not Protestant in any way. The low church, maybe isn't, you could get an odd evangelical than them. But I went in there, they didn't know what I was talking about. So I explained to them, but they're all Welsh speakers. And I thought to myself, I'll get them. So I, would you do an old fella a favour? Would you repeat John 3.16 in the Welsh language for me? Do you know, some of them didn't know what John 3.16 was. Well, says I, I'll tell you what. I'll repeat it phrase after phrase. Speaking the gospel in their own language. What about you? You walk by people every day. 
They talk to them. They try to influence. Do you speak a word for Jesus? Are you burning in the work of the Lord? Do you know our Lord Jesus Christ uh, was, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Are you moved with compassion? I'm moved by scenery. I love the beauty of the air. Enjoying the rustic colours and the whole road down over the mountain. I, I'm moved by singing. I'm moved by suffering. Are you moved by the souls of men that are perishing? As a young lad, 17 years of age, I was at the Young People's Convention in Londonderry. Eric Gurr was the preacher, and I never forget what he said. There's a call to each one of you this morning from above. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's a call from around. The Macedonian call. Come and help us. I'm sure your pastor reiterated that call. He said this and I never forgot it. If you don't hear the call from above and you don't hear the call from around, will you, in God's mercy and grace, hear the call? From below. I have five brethren. Come and tell them, lest they come to this place. A work, it's the work of the Lord. Uh, and I love the word abounding, is one of the superlatives of Scripture. You know, when God gives you peace, He gives you abiding peace. Not just peace, but an abiding peace. And when He gives you uh, life. He gives you abundant life. And when he expects you for the work of God, he expects you to be abounding. Thrilled to do God's work. Almost jumping out of your skin to get at it. To talk to men and women about Christ. An activity to pursue. I read an article uh, in a magazine. There's a story uh, about four people. Named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important work to be done in the church. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Go labor on, spend and be spent thy joy to do the Father's will. There's the way the master went. Should not the servant tread it still? The fields are white on the harvest, and the labors are few. Finally, and I should have done long ago. You don't know what I've left out. That's the thing. Uh, there's a, an award to inspire you. There's a war, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not only, but unto all, all those that love is appearing. There's a crown of righteousness for godly, holy living. Filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks unto the Lord. There's an award for holy, righteous, sanctified 
living. There's a reward for praying. I wonder how many will get that reward. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet and shut to the door, and thy heavenly Father, who seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. There's a reward for giving to the poor. There's a reward for fasting. Lay up treasure in heaven, life will pass away. Lay up treasure in abundant measure for the great accounting day. Lay up treasure in heaven, though thyself be poor. Thou shalt dwell with the sons of God forevermore. And there's a reward for working. Now, if any man builds upon this foundation of gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work uh, abide, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. He himself shall be saved by fire. At the beamless seat of Christ, what is only artificial of wood and hay and stubble will be burned up and you'll suffer loss. But what is gold and silver and precious stones? It'll stand the fire. Crown of life, crown of glory, crown of righteousness. Will you get your crown when you get to the other side? What are you going to do with it when you get it? Book of the Revelation, the 24 elders representing the church of Jesus Christ, wearing their crowns below the throne. They'll cast their crowns at Jesus' feet and cry now, Lord, Lord. In the light of the cross, in the light of the resurrection, in the light of the near coming of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, you folk and you buildings need to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labour is not in vain. And the Lord. May the Lord bless his word to all our hearts. Amen.